1: You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 283, and today we are talking about books being released on October 27th, 2020, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Patricia LZ Tuttle, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello!
2: Hey, hey! How's it going? It's going alright. I uh, was telling you earlier I went to FIACON last Weekend, I don't know, some some weekend in October, and Faya is a literary magazine for black speculative fiction, and it was amazing. It was a virtual con, but they had a Discord for all of us to chat, and there was so much joy and community, and it was amazing. And also now I'm like, oh, I should go, I should get writing again. So that's a silly thing.
1: That's cool, inspiring. It's not silly, it's inspiring. <laughs>
2: That's a good thing. How about you?
1: Well, you know, I got married. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, like, it was kind of a, it was a quick, it was short notice. We decided, like, to get married, and we're like, let's just do it. Let's do it before the election. And uh, we actually had to remove our recording. We were going to record yesterday. <laughs> totally.
2: Yeah, you're like, I can't record. It's really important. I promise. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I even tried to move it to later, but then, like, We tried to get married at our town hall, but it turns out they don't do it there. Like, lots of towns, you can do it, like, at the courthouse or the town hall, and and they didn't do it there. So, but the woman who gave us our marriage license is like, hey, I also officiate weddings. And we're like, well, come over after work. Basically, really, we just got up yesterday morning and we're like, what is the best way to commemorate Jonathan Lipnicki's 30th birthday? We (laughs) should get married. (laughs) yeah so i mean it was short notice we knew we decided like a little well it'll it'll have been a few weeks by now but we decided like a couple weeks ago but the thing that makes me like laugh the hardest about this whole thing is that you know he asked if i wanted to get married on a monday and i was like yes and then the next day i got an assignment because we do some content creation for for websites with book riot and my assignment was write you know so many words about the most prolific female serial killer in the world and she uh killed her victims with poison so on monday he asked me if i want to get married on tuesday my google search is like female serial killers types of poison effects of poison i was like you know how this goes down for people in mystery novels like this does not look good if something happens and i just laughed and laughed i was like great this is gonna be awesome (laughs) so if anything happens to him it wasn't me and also, I've been watching a lot of Murder, She Wrote for another piece that I'm writing. So I'm doomed. Absolutely doomed.
2: Oh, my grandma loved Murder, She Wrote. We watched a lot of that. It's it's pretty good. You know, it has its
1: obvious, like, problematic issues. And I am concerned for Jessica Fletcher because she does not seem to have any sense of self-preservation.
0: <laughs> so, you know, she's just
1: like... Ser- I mean, I've talked about this on Twitter. I've talked about the newsletters, and I s- still can't get over it. I think there was like one episode I watched recently where she asked somebody to slow down because they were driving too fast, and I was like, "Okay, we're getting somewhere now." And at first, like she would travel all the time, like all these cases took place other places, but now there have been like a ton of cases set in Cabot Cove where she lives. And I'm like, it's like Murder Town USA there. Like, if that actually happened, they would call in the National Guard and scientists to like study the citizens because <laughs> with well, the population that small and that many murders, like, that's a problem. Yeah. Also, I have a related question. Are there any TV shows from the 80s where the sheriff wasn't bumbling? I don't think so.
2: Yeah. Yes. <gasps> uh, in the heat of the night. Was that from the 80s? I thought that
1: was from the 70s because that was also oh, the one that what? I thought of. But it might... I don't know. I don't know. It it could have been.
2: I also remember watching a lot of that with my grandma at the same time as, like, Murder She Wrote. So that's why it was in the 80s to me, because I watched it in the 80s. But... Yeah.
1: I didn't realize that Murder She Wrote was on for 12 seasons. I I had no idea. Really? I watched it as a child, and then it was... Like, I don't know, 86 or 87, I had already stopped watching it, but I guess it was on for 12 seasons. That's what IMDb told me. I've watched two and a half seasons now, but I had no idea. But there have been WKRP actors in, like, seven of the episodes so far, like a couple of them two times. They must have gotten a discount on WKRP and Cincinnati actors because they keep showing up. (laughs) It's so much fun to, to like, recognize the people on the show and be like, Ooh, ooh, it's Brendan's mom from the Goonies, you know? Like, it's just, it's fun. (laughs) Anyway, I've talked for a very long time now, so I am going to
0: share an ad. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books. And so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish golden age during a time of high stakes, political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Lucia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Lucia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players. But what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Lucia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive even the help of Guillen Sant'Angel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must-read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at Leebardugothefamiliar.com And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo, for sponsoring this episode. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters is an intimate portrait of two generations, a granddaughter and a grandmother, coming to terms with what it means to be family, black women, and alive in a world on fire. In heartfelt lyrical prose, Mary and Nase Hegler weaves an unforgettable story of the climate crisis, black resistance, and the enduring power of family. Narrated by Janice Abbott-Pratt and written by climate justice writer Mary Anise Hegler. The Troubled Waters audiobook is available everywhere May 7th. It follows Corinne as she plans to stage a dramatic act of resistance and peels back the scabs of her family wounds and puts her safety in jeopardy both grandmother and granddaughter must bring their unspoken secrets into light to find a path to healing known for her essays that dissect and interrogate the climate crisis, drawing heavily on her personal experience as a black woman with deep roots in the South. Mary and Hegler brings us her first work of fiction titled troubled waters. Make sure to pick it up. Thanks again to Harper muse publisher of troubled waters for sponsoring this episode. Okay. Trisha, are you
1: ready to talk about books? You're going first today because I am a hot mess. I have had other <laughs> things on my mind. And uh, I'm taking
2: advantage of that. That's all right. I'm not a hot mess. I'm just a lukewarm mess. So (laughs) sure, I will totally go first today. All right. So for my first book, I have The Fangirl's Guide to the Universe, a handbook for girl geeks by Sam Maggs with illustrations by Kat Goodlow. This is an updated slash refreshed version of The Fangirl's Guide to the Galaxy, which was published back in 2015. It was a little hard for me to pin down the age range of the audience of this book. Or that the audience that this book is aimed at, lots of the info is great for teens, though there is definitely some information for the 21 plus independent woman crowd as well. On the whole, this book is about embracing ourselves as fangirls of various intellectual properties, from Doctor Who to Marvel Comics to Dungeons and Dragons, and making it clear that girls and women belong in these spaces. After the intro chapter, the first chapter is a field guide to geek girls. It basically goes through a bunch of popular intellectual properties and gives you some defining characteristics, key accessories, frequent debates in the fandom, and how to become a part of that fandom. Some of the fan identities covered are Super Hulakians, Ringers, Trekkies, True Believers, Slayers, Nerds, and more. I've definitely drifted in and out of some of these fandoms, and I found the author's descriptions to be amusing and a fun overview. One of the parts of the book I appreciated was a clear chapter on fangirl speak, like I know what canon and headcanon mean, but terms like that or OTP or glomp or shipping can be super intimidating to someone who is new to the fandom and doesn't know all the vocabulary yet. The author also covers how to convert your friends to a fandom. The TLDR is don't force it and ease into it. And these things can be really overwhelming. So I know like when I'm a fan of something, I just want to force everything upon like everyone I know. And this chapter also tells you where to go find your people from comic book shops to zombie walks to pub trivia and Ren Fairs. I miss Ren Fairs a lot. Anyway, there's a section in the book about what to do if you want to get a geeky tattoo, which is actually all good advice for any tattoos, not just geeky ones. Sprinkled throughout the book are bunches of interviews with fangirls who have gone on to have careers that are either linked to their fandoms or were inspired by their experiences of fangirls, etc. And I really like these little peeks into women's personal experiences with being fangirls and there's so much more Tips on being a fangirl online, tips on writing fanfiction, a massive amount of tips on going to cons, remember cons, and cosplay, dealing with internet trolls, a helpful starter on feminism and its overlap with being a fangirl. I thought this book was a fun read and would also make a good gift for any burgeoning fangirl in your life, whether they be a teen or a whole entire adult. It's The Fangirl's Guide to the Universe, A Handbook for Girl Geeks, by Sam Maggs, with illustrations by Kat Goodlow. Okay. I don't feel like a whole adult right now,
1: personally. (laughs) I just, I feel about like, (laughs) like I'm at three quarters. There's a lot going on. (laughs) Speaking of lot, uh, my first pick this week is Memorial by Brian Washington, who is the author of the amazing collection of short stories that came out last year. That was called Lot. Thank you very much for that amazing segue, Liberty. Oh, you're very welcome. So I loved this novel, but I did read it back in, I figured out, December. So I'm very sorry if I get some of the details mixed up. I have a lot going on this week, so I didn't get a chance to reread it. I'm I'm just going to milk that excuse for as long as I possibly can. I don't know, like, how long. It's, like, half of, like, probably what you get to do for your first marriage, right? Like, if it's your second marriage, you only get to use that excuse for, like, half as much time. I don't know, though. Um, So my first pick, like I said, is Memorial by Brian Washington. It's, like, one of the most anticipated novels of the year. It also got moved a few weeks because of all the release dates being changed because of COVID. Uh, But it is here now. It is about a couple, Benson and Mike. They live in Texas. Mike is a Japanese-American. He is a chef at a Mexican restaurant. Benson is a black daycare worker. They have been a couple for several years. They have had some ups and downs. You know, they live together now, but, you know, they're not sure. They've kind of stagnated. Uh, They had uh, domestic abuse issues in their past, and they're kind of figuring out what they're going to do in their relationship when Mike's mom calls and says she's coming for a visit. On the same day that his dad, who lives in Japan, calls and says that he's very sick. Mike is not close with his dad. Uh, When his parents split up, he blamed his father and he hasn't really talked to him, but his dad is dying now. So he decides to go and see him and like literally leave before his mom, who Benson has never met, gets to their apartment. So now Benson is here with Mike's mom, Mitsuko, and at first they're, you know, kind of circling each other because they don't know each other and they're not really sure, you know, but she starts cooking, and cooking is something that they both really get into together, and then they start talking, and as the book goes on, you know, they become very important to each other uh, because Mike is going to be gone for quite a while. He goes to Japan, and his dad owns a bar. And he also, his dad also doesn't want anyone to know that he's sick. He doesn't want anyone to know he's dying in the bar or any of his employees. So Mike kind of makes it look like, oh, I'm just going to take over for my dad for a while um, while he, you know, takes a vacation. Um, and he and his dad talk a lot, and he gets out a lot of his anger that he has towards his dad. He also learns some things about his father's relationship with his mother that he didn't know. And... But like time goes on and these two are apart, Benson and Mike are apart and they both kind of meet other people and is this what they want? Like do they want to split up? Like they're not talking on the phone as much and it's kind of like the lasting relationship is it going to be there? And also like the power of family and, you know, learning about things as an adult that you didn't realize as a child. My interpretation of this book when I read it seems to be heavier than they keep like claiming this book is they're calling it like a dark romantic comedy and like a sexy fun book but i actually found it to be much heavier than that but maybe like i said it might just be my interpretation it is very excellent i do want to give trigger warnings for domestic violence illness death drug use racism and homophobia you know there might be some other things i i can't remember like i said i read it almost a year ago But it is excellent and worth reading. So it is called Memorial, and it is by Brian Washington. Excellent. Whew.
2: (sighs) My brain just doesn't go back that far anymore. (laughs) I know. This is, I just passed my one year of doing backlist, and I'm going to come up on my one year of all the books, and yeah, trying to reach back into my head, and (laughs) think of books I read forever ago is a chore. So I'm doing a lot of rereading too.
1: Congratulations. Well, when it's your one year anniversary, you can be like, I'm, I'm just going to blow stuff off and I can't remember anything because I'm going to milk this because it's my anniversary.
2: <laughs> Excellent. It's a, it's a deal. Okay. So for my next book, I have Sapiens, A Graphic History, The Birth of Humankind, Volume 1 by Yuval Noah Harari. Full disclosure, I have not read the book that this is based off of. This is a graphic version, well, volume one graphic version of Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind by the same author. That book has appeared on a number of lists, including recommendation lists from Barack Obama and Bill Gates, if that is a thing that you are interested in. The author, Yuval Noah Harari, is a historian and he brings in experts from anthropology and biology and other fields to help tell the story of our species. His ability to tell stories is really lovely, and it makes a subject that could be heavy with sciences and a turnoff to some people actually really accessible and enjoyable. He starts with talking about the six different species of humans and the difference between Homo Neanderthalensis, I think, something like that. Homo erectus, Homo sapiens, etc., and the ideas about where we, present-day sapiens, come from. To understand this, readers get a concise, clear lesson in genetics and classification, and in the graphic form, it's actually really easy to understand. We also learn how we evolved as sapiens, how our brains got smaller, how our hands got more dexterous, but also how we have become the supreme threat to other life on this planet. While staying mostly non-judgmental about our effects on life on this planet, the author does definitely doesn't pull any punches when making it very clear that we are a huge problem ecologically. We learn how humans began on what is now the African continent and spread out around the world. Ideas on how art and religion started. Lots of ideas on religion, actually, which I found really fascinating. The idea of sapiens ruling the world because we're the only animals capable of creating and believing fictional stories, whether it be religion or limited liability companies or nations, All social constructs that many people agree exist. Even things like the Gregorian calendar, right? Ask your cat what day of the week it is. It doesn't know. Everything's imaginary. There are a couple of things in this book that I found questionable, like some conversation about obesity, but otherwise, it was a super interesting book. It's Sapiens, A Graphic History, The Birth of Humankind, Volume 1, by Yuval Noah Harari. Okay. Speaking of threats...
1: The biggest threats on the planet. I forgot where my segue was. I'm like, wait, I'm going to use that. And now I can't even remember what you said. <laughs> my next pick is *A Solitude of Wolverines* by Alice Henderson. This is the first in what appears to be what will be an ongoing series. It is about wildlife biologist Alex Carter. And before I start telling you about this book, I just want to give trigger warnings now because there is no getting around talking about some pretty horrific stuff that happens in this book. So there, I am going to mention some horrible violence, gun violence, and animal death. I want you to know that before I start talking about it. So if that's something you want to skip, skip over this recommendation. Um, so, like I said, uh, Alex Carter is a wildlife biologist. She lives in Boston. She's just broken up with her boyfriend. She actually moved to Boston from California for his job. And now they have broken up and they're not really in touch. She doesn't know what's going on. His stuff is still in her apartment. And at the beginning of the novel, she is attending a ceremony for the preservation of a certain piece of land in Massachusetts. Like, she has done a study and she has helped the conservationists pass this through Congress. You know, they're, they were supposed to build condos on this piece of land. But because of the work that she has done, they are not going to do that now. And so they're having this ceremony like a ribbon cutting ceremony, like, yay, nothing's going to happen on this land. When the man who owns the construction company that was supposed to clear the land shows up and he has a gun and he starts firing at people and he hits a reporter and he chases Alex into the woods and it's very upsetting and someone else actually shoots him and they don't know who it was. But now like the danger is over. And she goes home. She's very shaken up about this. And she gets home and she gets this phone call from her former professor who says, hey, how's it going? And she's like, well, actually, you know, I was just at a mass shooting. And he's like, oh, well, sounds terrible. You should move to Montana. I have a job for you. You have to leave today. And she's like, "Uh, "Okay." Uh, So he tells her that there is this piece of land in Montana that used to be this old resort, like has big buildings, like think like The Shining. It's going to be like that. And no one has lived there in a very long time. There are squatters and it might be haunted, but they need someone to do a study of wolverines. Wolverines are kind of like Tasmanian devils. They are just crazy, strong, um, wild, sharp-toothed, little, like, weaselly-looking things. They, they weigh about 35 pounds, but they are able to kill a moose. That is how strong these, these mammals are. Um, And man has hunted them almost to extinction, probably because they have bad attitudes. But um, that's not the point. They deserve to exist. And Alice, is they think that they have come back to the woods near this resort. And so Alice has been hired to do a study, set up some camera traps to, like, take pictures of them and identify, like, if there are any more around. Um, So she she does it. Like, she's like, all right, let's go. So she gets out there. And immediately, like, first, like, on on the way there, they're driving her out to the middle of the woods, like, 25 miles from anything else. This abandoned resort. And the woman in the car the whole time is like telling her about the history of this building and how it's haunted and how uh, someone murdered people there. And then this other time someone murdered people there. And, uh, you know, you can only sleep in these two rooms and the rest of the floors are rotted and like, good luck to you. And then when she wakes up the next morning, someone has left a note on her car that says, you know, leave now before it's too late for you. So it's off to a good start. Her Wolverine uh, watching. But she really loves nature. It's like she was really sad when she moved to Boston because she was out of the woods, like literally. And she's excited to get back to nature. And she's feeling kind of stubborn about, you know, she's like, I'm here for a reason and no one's going to drive me off. But then like the next day, speaking of driving them off, like someone tries to run her off the road. And the sheriff doesn't seem to care at all. You know, he's like, oh, you know, it's just boys having fun with you. And, you know, he's just a terrible person. And uh, so she goes about doing her studies. But first of all, like, it involves going out into the woods at night wearing, like, a headlamp and you're out in the woods by yourself. And she keeps hearing noises. And I was like, this is very stressful to me. Like, this part is very stressful. And she keeps hearing things. And then it becomes, it becomes apparent that there is a person or persons, like, in the woods with her at night. And then she's going to find out that she is kind of encroaching on someone's hunting grounds, like, and they're not appreciative of it. Uh, and bad things are going to happen. I really enjoyed it, though. It, I mean, it sounds like I just get now that I've given the description, I'm like, wow, that sounds really heavy and depressing. It, but it's it's really good. I've heard it compared to Nevada Barr, whose books I have not read. But if uh, she is an author that you enjoy, you might like this. And I just thought it was a really great debut. You know, there is animal death because, you know, animals in the woods, there's poachers. Um, she has to feed the the wolverines. Um, so if you're upset by animal death, then this is definitely not a book that you want to read. But I just keep making excuses like, this is bad, but also this is good. So I'm just going to stop now. I really enjoyed it. It's called A Solitude of Wolverines by Alice Henderson.
2: Listening to your description about this, one of the things I love is, like, we've agreed we are very much the same person, mm-hmm. but, like, the Venn diagram of what I read and what you read is almost two separate circles.
1: yeah. Well, unrelated to that, but related to the book, would you please get me a Wolverine for Christmas? Absolutely. Thank you. Do you have a name picked out for it though? Uh I don't. I should have I probably should have thought of that beforehand. <laughs> but I don't. I mean, people if people got Wolverines, they'd probably just name it something like Hugh or Jackman or something like that. Like yeah. something like Logan. unoriginal.
2: Yeah, yeah. Like
1: really uninspired. Like you you like you gotta think about it, you know, a little bit. I would put a lot of thought. If I had a wolverine, I would put a lot of thought into it. I think
2: they're cute. I like wolverines. They are cute. And if
1: you, you know, don't want to keep your hands, you should probably get one. (laughs) But, you know.
2: (laughs) Wild animals are not pets. I know. True. For my next book, I have The Sacrifice of Darkness by Roxanne Gay and Tracy Lynn Oliver, illustrated by Rebecca Kirby, colored by James Fenner, and lettered by And World Design. This is a graphic novel adaptation of Roxane Gay's short story titled, We Are the Sacrifice of Darkness. This story takes place in a mining town. It starts with a man named Hiram Hightower, who was a miner. He spent so much time in the cold and dark that he decided to get an air machine because he wanted to touch the sun. He left his wife and small child and flew directly into the sun, desperate for some kind of warmth. And then right when he flies directly into the sun, the sun goes out. This is not only the story of Hiram, but of the wife and son he left behind, how the town handled the never-ending darkness hint, not well, and the wife and son having to live with the results of their husband's slash father's choice. Full disclosure, I read this not long after that one day in September when the Bay Area was covered in so much smoke that the sky stayed dark the entire day and the streetlights just stayed on all day. It was just like nighttime for 48 hours almost. I'm not going to say I was triggered by this book because I wasn't, but I was like, yeah, people would not be able to handle things emotionally if the sun went out. Like not even talking about how the ecosystem would collapse and everything, just psychologically people would not be doing well. And in the book, the people of this town are not doing well. Immediately, there's a curfew, a bunch of things are shut down, scientists worldwide scramble to figure out how to get the sun back. Also, because of this, the mines closed, and remembering that this was a mining town. And miners were then taught how to make gas lamps to light the town, but for them, this was not preferable to mining, as I'm sure you can imagine. The story is told both in the present time of the town, as well as via flashbacks about how Hiram met his wife and how his father and his father's father were minors and it's all he ever wanted and so it is their love story and it's another love story too of Hiram's left behind son who was bullied and ridiculed due to his father's mistakes and the one girl who saw light in him. This story is so many things, how capitalism hurts us all, how hope is necessary, and maybe even how love can be the solution. This is The Sacrifice of Darkness by Roxanne Gay and Tracy Lynn Oliver, illustrated by Rebecca Kirby, colored by James Fenner, and lettered by And World Design.
1: Okay. First of all, I know, and I think a lot of other listeners know, that when the sun goes out, that means vampires. Like, the world will be overrun with vampires.
2: You know, yeah. It's so funny because when basically the sun went out here in the Bay Area, I was like, oh, God, 30 days of night. You were like, time to feed. 30 <laughs> days of night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Vampires, that's what's
1: coming. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I actually, my next pick is
0: a comic pick. But before I tell you about it, we are going to hear from... Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Horizon, publisher of Walk, Ride, Paddle. Walk, Ride, Paddle is a captivating memoir of Senator Tim Kaine's physical journey through the Virginia wilderness, but it is also a unique and ultimately optimistic perspective on these pivotal moments in history, offering inspiration, wisdom, and hope. With immediacy and honesty, Kaine pulls back the curtain to reveal his inner thoughts during such monumental times. And Kane's storytelling gift and wise observations offer a fascinating glimpse into the mind of a seasoned politician and outdoor enthusiast. Walk Ride Paddle is available everywhere audiobooks are sold on April 9th. It is narrated and written by Tim Kaine, Virginia Senator and former Democratic vice presidential candidate. It's a compelling account of one man's journey across hundreds of miles of Virginia wilderness and a moving testament to the optimistic spirit of America. So make sure to check out Walk, Ride, Paddle by Tim Kaine. And thanks again to Harper Horizon, publisher of Walk, Ride, Paddle, for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my from our next sponsor. Okay,
1: my next pick is actually one from uh, September 29th, which was the show that I was not on, and you and Jen talked about some awesome titles, Uh, and this is one that I was like, I hope they don't talk about it because I want to mention it at a later date, and my wish came true. It is called Dungeon Critters by Natalie Reese and Sarah Goder, and it is a middle-grade fantasy graphic novel, but it's perfect for everyone. I adored it so so much. It's basically a Dungeons and Dragons type animal group. There's a cat, a dog, a snake who has arms for reasons that are not explained, and a frog. And they are adventuring, questing in, in this like medieval like town. And at the at the beginning of the book, they like they're fighting this like powerful force, and they don't know where he came from, and they fight him, and then they find out about like this big ball that is happening, this big shindig. I say shindig because it reminds me a little bit of the Firefly episode. And they're all going to get dressed up and pretend to be other people and try to find out about this mysterious orb that the evil Baron Fox, I think it's Baron Foxworthy, uh, has somewhere in this house. But also there's like this evil plant that they encounter when they're fighting the first big bad at the beginning of the book. And they want to learn more about that. It's so adorable. Like the frog is just wild and she's just like gung-ho about everything and she's jumping around and she but she's like so so tiny and then like i said the snake has arms his name is is go godo like why does he have arms no one knows but he's adorable and then like there's so much humor because it's like humor like if you like dungeon dragons or if you like world of warcraft which ugh, i just always want to play all the time whenever i read stuff like this but i can't because i just don't know how to stop it's it's like that and also there's like jokes about the animals the cat likes to make all these puns, but also there's this part where, like, they're trying to get to the orb, and all of a sudden they trigger these, like, lasers, and they're like, oh, no, oh, no, and the cat's like, lasers, and starts, like, chasing lasers all around, you know, because she's a cat, and it's just awesome, but there's also all these other little, like, comedic moments where they're, like, trying to get people's attention, and in the background, it's, like, this rainbow that says distraction and just stuff that made me laugh out loud you're also reminding me of rutabaga the adventure chef by by eric colossal which is another middle grade graphic novel series that i absolutely love and i just this is just so fun and nice and we need a lot of that right now uh, so if you like having fun i highly recommend dungeon critters by natalie rice and sarah goder oh my god that book sounds perfect It's so cute. And also, I should tell you, um, you can read the first, I think it's the first 80 pages on the DungeonCritters.com site to get a little
2: taste of it. But it's actually like 300 pages total, I think. Oh, nice. So, full disclosure, the Dungeons & Dragons game, like, we have D&D every week, my wife and I and then our friends over Skype. And it started like we started doing it during the pandemic and it started with like almost like a adventuring Dungeons and Dragons adjacent game where we are cats and dogs. Uh, (laughs) And so uh, my character is a Norwegian forest cat. She is a cat of substance, (laughs) very large cat. And she is a fighter, and then our friends, like, there's another cat, and there's also, like, a dog wizard, and a cat necromancer. And um, so we went through, because there were, like, free, kind of, free story arcs to go through. And then we're like, let's keep playing. Let's stay cats and dogs. So we're basically still playing Dungeons and Dragons, except we're cats and dogs. That sounds better. It's, yeah, it's actually really great because I'm like, I'm firing my bow. And they're like, you don't have thumbs. <laughs> so, like, how does oh, that work? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That was really great. So, I just realized, like, three of my books today are all comics. Uh, my last book is the comic Doom. It is A Quick and Easy Guide to Consent by Isabella Rotman and Colors by Luke Howard. I absolutely adore this little graphic guide slash comic book. If you have listened to any of the backlist episodes I've done, you may already know that I am a huge fan of the quick and easy guides put out by Limerence Press. They are small, unintimidating, clear, concise, and fairly inexpensive. So they are only good reads for me, but they are also easy for me to buy extra copies to give to other people. I definitely did that with the quick and easy guides to they them pronouns, as well as the one on queer and trans identities. The newest one, as titled, is on consent. Specifically, consent in sex, relationships, and other physical contact. And this is not the outdated no means no situation. This book focuses on and reinforces enthusiastic, informed, active consent, aka yes means yes. Yes. Affirmative consent means that whatever the people involved are doing, they are into it. Not just like, eh, okay with it, but into it. It focuses on people wanting to do something and not just willing to do something. In fact, your guide through this guide is Sergeant Yes Means Yes from the Consent Cavalry. They are witty and charming, and I have to say this book is probably more explicit consent training than most people get. I think one of the most important things is that this book is really positive. It's less about danger, danger, and more about how consent is not only good and necessary, but getting and giving consent can also be fun and sexy in itself. The book definitely discusses sexual violence, but it will not show visual depictions or graphic descriptions. This book doesn't really cover laws because laws vary on many things, such as geographic location. It does, however, make it very clear that consent is for all gender identities, and the people drawn in this comic are diverse with regards to race, gender, and orientation. If you are thinking to yourself, how can there be a whole entire book, even a small book, on consent? Then I'm pretty sure you need to read this book. It's really great. It's A Quick and Easy Guide to Consent by Isabella Rotman and Colors by Luke Howard.
1: Maybe someday you'll get to write a quick and easy guide to quick and easy guides. Oh my gosh.
2: Yes, please. That would be fun. <laughs> Instead of a quick and easy guide, like a, a slow and difficult guide to quick and easy guides. No.
1: <laughs> you could just like, draw stick figures and stuff. I'm like, here's the cover of this one.
2: Bold of you to think I can draw stick figures.
1: Oh uh, Well, we know that your Dungeons and Dragons character cannot.
2: Because she doesn't yeah. have
1: thumbs. <laughs> she does not have <laughs> thumbs.
2: <laughs> Although she still could. She might still be able to. Who knows? She, she walks into um, inns and orders a flagon of ale and then just knocks it off the bar, so.
1: <laughs> Cat jokes. We got them. Oh, yeah. All right. So those are our new picks and a lot of laughing and just scrambled brains today. <laughs> what are you going to read next?
2: I finally got a copy of A Phoenix Must First Burn by Patrice Caldwell.
1: And I am going to read Dial A for Aunties by Jesse Q. Sutanto, which is already, like, I think the film is already in production. What? There was, like, a deal for it as soon as it was announced, like, before they even announced that the book was coming out. Uh, It says here, it's a hilariously quirky novel that is equal parts murder mystery, rom-com, and a celebration of mothers and daughters, as well as a deep dive into Chinese-Indonesian culture. Uh, And... I had read about the movie, and I was like, but I haven't even heard of this book. And yeah, it wasn't even out yet. It hadn't even been announced. So the galleys are up. Yeah. I'm really excited for that book. Everyone says it's delightful. So I'm going to read that next. So that is it for us this week. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online. Patricia hangs out on Twitter and Instagram at the info file. That's T H E I N F O P H I L E. I mostly hang out on Instagram at friends and comes alive. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today, we just don't have the time. But if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And if you would like to read about more books out now, you can go to the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books and check those out, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter in which I talk about even more books. And in the meantime, Happy,
2: happy reading. reading.